0: To his left, and he's on his way. Ten, nine, five, three. Cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Dig's like a demented mole. There. He just busts through the defence. Just watch this.
1: Good evening and welcome to the Melcast. Good
2: evening. Good evening, Tony Pandy.
1: And tonight <laughs> we bring you news that rugby is over. <laughs> Again. Again. Um, Game's gone. The game is gone. There's too many people too far, not close enough to each other and not enough people close enough to each other <laughs> to play this game all over the world and make everyone happy. I like what you did there.
2: Yeah, but very well put though. Um, Where are people wh-
1: Unhappiest. Let's start with Wales. In
2: general. <laughs> um,
1: while they may have successfully be leaving the European Union, they're stuck in the pro fourteen, but not in the uh, probably not going to be in the same arrangement as they have been in recent years, as it looks like. Neat Swansea Ospreys and uh Scarlets are going to merge into um, they had a euphemism for it. <coughs> Scarpriest. <laughs> no, Project Revamp or something like that. Project Reset. Project Reset, yeah. Um, and they want to form a, a fourth Welsh region in the north of the country, which isn't represented at all by any of the regions currently. Yeah. Uh, maybe you could explain a little bit about the, well, the geography of it, as you understand.
2: The geography of it. We were, we were talking briefly about this. Essentially, the current region centres are in two groups. Uh, Cardiff and Newport, close together, they're about 15 miles away from each other uh, in East East Wales. Wales, And then Swansea and Clannetley, about 15 miles away from each other in West Wales. And what divides West Wales from East Wales are...
0: The Valleys. Tony
2: bandy Which has always been a... well, Well, when I say always, which throughout the majority of Welsh rugby history has been a real heartland of the game. You know, um, local communities and local teams, Pontypridd, Bridgend, Bridge End, Neath, uh, strong teams with, you know, outstanding club histories. But uh, not, none of those places are big enough to support, or, or anywhere near, anywhere near big enough to support a professional team. So, you have four teams, and as I said before, they're paired now what seems to be happening is that the closest of of those teams uh, geographically the closest the ospreys and the scarlet's clinetley and, and swansea are going to join hands in a holy matrimony
0: i would go even further and uh so the, the we're talking about the clubs that existed beforehand so my experience when I was over in uh, Cardiff for the Friday night match two years ago I asked some of the Welsh guys that we were having we were drinking near them and I just goes how come like what's the story with the valleys and they just said it's the heartland of the Welsh game so I don't even think it's the fact that oh they had these clubs I mean even even the name and I I don't know the, the geography that well would Sort of bring to mind that there was peaks and mountains, and then there was valleys. So, like to to navigate it is going to be much harder. So basically, like there's there's a motorway that runs through the South of Wales. Mm. So if you get the ferry from Wexford, uh, is it Rosslare Fishguard, and then you drive over to Cardiff, um, you go through a bit of a like uh, post and druster. I think is the polite way to say yeah. it. Like it's 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 uh, there was a lot of steel, there was a lot of coal, there was a lot of hard work. Um, like, the road runs into England. Uh, that's sort of where the money went. And that's the South Wales. And then when you drive along the North Wales from, you know, Liverpool and Manchester yeah, over the don't down, Head, see. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah North Wales is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. North, <laughs> North Wales is magnificent and scenic. Uh, it's like Brittany. Yeah. Um, it's even warmer. So the Valleys, I think, was where just, like, loads of players came from Mm. and also West Wales. So Barry John, like we we were looking how far West is Glenethley and you can see Carmarthen is further West. So Barry John is from Carmarthen. I think Carwin James, I think Carwin James is Carmarthen as well. I think you're right. Yeah. So there's, and West Wales, I would associate with being more traditionally Welsh speaking, but also more sparsely populated. So the history of Wales from a sort of an urban development point of view is that Cardiff is a very small place and then it grew up around the docks. So when the when the coal mining in particular came in and then the steel working after that, there was a lot of um export. Yeah. There was and there was just a thriving port and there was a lot of houses built. So, you know, when you walk along Cardiff, um, you know, when you because you're in Cardiff for a rugby match, I mean there's you know, I won't say there's no other reason to go, but that's if you're if you're listening, if you're certainly if you're on this show, or you're listening to this podcast, that's the reason you're in mm. Cardiff. So the Millennium Stadium is in the center of the city. It's on the west of the city. So you have to sort of go east and pretty much anywhere you go walking, there's, it's like Coronation Street. There's just row after row of terraced houses. And those houses were built to house workers in the port. Yeah, And Cardiff, you know, like it isn't that big, but it, like it just mushroomed in the late 19th century. Like uh, I think
2: its population is over 300,000, but under 400,000. Yeah. Some, uh, and it went, I think it's something like quintupled in size. It went from roughly you know, 40,000 to 250,000 or something over the course of like half a century, just because of the strength of its port. And, you know, obviously, like the port is still there, but it doesn't mean the business is still there.
0: So, so that that's Cardiff, and then Newport went beside it. So again, like when you're when you're leaving Cardiff on a, I left Cardiff on a Monday morning after we've been knocked out of the World Cup by Argentina, driving, driving to get into England in order to get up to the north of Wales. So like the in the middle of Wales, there's the Brecon Beacons, which is where the SAS do their selection testing. Like it, it's an inhospitable, again, like it's an area of stunning scenic beauty, but it's an inhospitable location, and it 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 does split the country into north mm. and south. Um, and the road from Cardiff brings you into England and you just use their motorway network to get you up to sort of west of Manchester. And then you get the the road over to Hollyhead and there it's jammers getting from Cardiff to Bristol. There's loads of people in Wales, in Cardiff in particular, mm. who that's their daily commute. So the Dragons are definitely, to my mind, the fourth of Oh, for of the litter. And like Newport.
2: Newport is mostly famous for having a crest, which was featured on the CD of uh, Second Coming by the Stone Roses. <laughs>
0: and Newport beat the All Blacks in the 1960s, but since then, like it's it's not Cardiff, it's not Cardiff Farms, it's not Swansea in St Helens, it's not uh, Clarnetley in Stratty, it's not even Neath in the Knoll. Neath, Neath, Neath. Um, so. But there's a lot of people live there. There's a lot of people, you know, for Wales, there's a lot of people live in Cardiff and there's relatively few people live in Swansea and Clarnetley. And you look at the the attendances that they get and they're very low. And this is, again, the sort of the problem that we've heard (laughs) heard described about the Welsh regions is that the composite clubs of the regions hate each other. (laughs) They hate each other. And also I think that there's a sort of, uh,
2: and this is... uh, Varying into both generality and stereotyping, two of my strongest subjects. Uh, the Welsh rugby fans are happier complaining than they are reflecting or trying to make things better.
1: Oh well, <clears throat> I think the same could safely be said of much of the Irish rugby supporting populace.
2: Yeah, that is, that is a very fair point.
1: Um, Xenophobia I'm also go that, but what's way, sorry. <laughs> what strikes me as uh, unusual is that. Canethli uh, and Osprey's are the two most <coughs> the two Welsh uh, regions who have most recently won something. Well,
2: the Osprey's have won four leagues and I the Scars have won that.
1: two. I know the two two that I was thinking of that the Osprey's had won four three. won four. against three. us uh, in the finals in 2012, Eleven, and 2012. Twelve, yeah. Eleven. And then the
2: Nine, ten, and eleven, twelve were the were the ones that they won in the RDS.
1: There you go. And um, then the uh, S- Carnethy Scarlets won t- two seasons ago uh, yeah, against beating. Munster in Lansdowne Road. Yeah,
2: Whitmonsters is stupid in the final.
1: Um, are very handy in the RDS and played some exceptional rugby last season as well. Um, on the way to the final of the Pro 14 and to the semi-final of the was the quarter-final. No, the semi. Semi-final. Um, or they the, were
2: destroyed twice by Leinster they were
1: um, in two of Leinster's best performances yeah, all year performances. In, best performances in years anyway I digress um, I helped you the question is why are those two the target uh, of a merger basically it, when they're the two most successful teams
2: Pinker, he's, pinker.
1: He's making I, the money sign. That finger thing means the taxes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's rubbing his fingers together, uh, podcast listeners, to
0: indicate there's something to do with money. They're just... It has to be because there's too few people uh, to sustain a, prof- a big professional sports team. It, it's too sparse. And I think you see this... In a way, you see it in Ireland, in Munster. Um, the argument not vocalised very often, but sort of certainly, is that they built and Park in the wrong place. They should have built the big Munster Stadium in Cork. Now, not from a rugby point of view, because Limerick is, is the heartland of arguably Irish rugby, certainly from a club point of view. The Limerick clubs were the trailblazers and the pace setters uh, and the standard bearers in the nascent years of the AAL, when it was at its most competitive. But from a population point of view, it makes more sense to have it in Cork and you know Don Lennon sort of refers to it a good bit in his, in his biography autobiography and has recently sort of made noises about big rugby matches being played in Parky queeve in light of you know Parky Cueve needs the money it can hold more you know you get a bigger capacity why, why not play stuff in there good so, luck with that by the way yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. things aren't going to happen unfortunately unfortunately <laughs> When you've, you know, you've always had that sort of split between Cork and Limerick and guys driving on the road. And it's just, in Wales, they want to... There's no team up in North Wales. The Welsh Rugby Union have played the under-20s matches up there for the last number of years. George North, is King of the North, is, he's from North Wales. So it's a bit of an untapped resource for the Welsh in terms of, like, if you, if you had talented kids from North Wales and you had a professional team... Sure, even if you've got talented kids in the Valley, sir, so like it's just another one of the four teams for them to go. Like it's not going to take a million. It's not going to take that long for them to get home. But if you've got talented kids from North Wales. You can just you can just drift them in, and there's no yeah. competition up there. So, but also, like you have Chester up there. That's exactly what I was going to say. And you've got um, you're quite likely to get pretty big crowds coming over from Dublin for those matches in North Wales because you just hop on the ferry. And you just drive along the road, and you're there. Like you could get over and back in the same day, on the ferry. My next question
1: uh, is going to be large and vague. <laughs> the two examples of um, countries where they expanded, and in one in one case I'll say teams, in another case I'll say franchises. Uh, Western Force in Perth. Um. Not a hurling stronghold, not a rugby stronghold out in Western Australia at all. Um, Even if my old mate Bobby did make appearances for the Sox out there. Uh, And Melbourne Rebels, Melbourne, not not known at all for uh, rugby union at all, very particularly in Australian rules heartland. And then in comparison with New Zealand, which maintains five professional teams, and I will say there's probably no area of rugby... Or no area of New Zealand that isn't a a rugby heartland, yeah, acceptably. But also, those teams don't have the players don't have a sort of geographic identification with those teams, they just end up at them.
2: Uh, Do do you think so?
1: I, yeah, it seems there's
2: more freedom of movement, but I would still say the players have uh, a tie towards their home union.
1: The re well, the reason I would say that, I guess. I would feel like they probably have more tied to their ITN. Whatever. That's what I mean.
2: Their home union, yeah. Yeah,
1: their counties, Manukau, yeah. et cetera, Bay of Plenty. Because, well, the the reason I say that about the New Zealand teams is they don't even have the names of the places they're from in them, so it's clearly not that important. Their, oh, the their franchise, brands. the Super
2: Rugby franchise. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, yeah, I, sorry I mean sorry, like, yeah.
1: I mean like the Blues, the Crusaders.
2: Yeah. Well, the, yeah, they started off. They started off being called the Waikato Chiefs, the Auckland Blues, and you know, they did lose those names. Just like it used to be the Newport Gwent Dragons. It used to be the I actually think I remember when it was the Neat Swansea Ospreys.
0: Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. You know, Clenethy, Scarlets and Cardiff Blues. Um I I I always wonder why they decided. to do Do you think
1: that's it. just more of a marketing decision yeah, than I I don't
2: really get it. Like it's it's me, it's like, you know the the Blues are from Cardiff. <laughs> like, that's stupid. You know the Scarlet's from Clunetley. I don't understand that in the first part. Um, but there, the major difference between Australia and New Zealand is obviously that Australia is competing against a huge range of other sports, uh, field sports. You know, the most obvious one, NRL, but then AFL as well. Whereas while New Zealand has Rugby League in it, it is a second-class citizen compared to Union. Whereas... Union in Australia, second-class citizen compared to league. Uh, Wales is more keen to New Zealand in terms of uh, rugby union has a sort of sacred space in the sporting psyche. But it's and it's, it and this is a, it's a good question because I can't see why the Welsh sort of the the grassroots. A mid level game isn't as healthy as it is in New Zealand
0: there's an argument from New Zealand that it isn't that healthy if you're going by what he's in the sea was saying so I think there was a there's that book The Jersey by Peter Bills, where he goes and talks to Frank Bunce who's the president of a club or the, yeah or yeah he's yeah, Frank Bunce is big in a club in in Auckland he goes to talk to Buck Shelford about his club in new zealand and the the story of a lot of the the guys. Is that like the, the club game is hurting in New Zealand, partly because schoolboys aren't allowed to play. Uh, I think after between like fifteen and nineteen, they have to play for the schools because the schools model is the way that the NZRU have decided that they're going to get their next level of All Blacks from, or the next generation of All Blacks from partly just because the sort of the popular imagination, uh, like the the Blues have taken over, like Super Rugby's taken over, partly because of drink driving, that guys, it could, it's not as much of a social hub anymore. So like a lot of the same challenges that clubs now, some of the clubs and could, Bills goes down to the South Island, but it's not unique to the South Island, have got a very strong community feel going on. So they've got guys uh, like spit roasting a pig at half six in the morning, and they're there to... They're there. Must
1: be resting a pig. <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and they're and they're there till uh oh, like you know half eight nine in the evening time. Not maybe not the same blokes, you know. But the the club is the club is busy all the way through the yeah. day. They're, they're playing a lot of matches. But people still look at the past and they go, "Oh, we we used to have more teams. Yeah, we used to have more people playing. Um, there used to be." And Izan Asiwa was talking in his article last weekend about not even talking about all black skies going over, talking about like sort of a few levels down, like up and coming pro players just get a contract from Europe and particularly Japan and they're, they're gone. And you see, I think I saw somebody reference sort of Waikato losing. It was a yeah. South African guy and saying, "What's happening to New Zealand provincial mm-hmm. is what happened in South Africa for for years. Like the, the sort of the sort of the the under the guys who are just under, like the likes of Jean Klein. He's he's gone now. You know, Klein's a project player and he has his own reasons. Bundy Aki is like you know he's a proven international now, but there's guys that sort of level below. You know, we're not, we're not talking about, like, you know, Percy Montgomery and Vermeulen mm. and... James Lowe, though. J- yeah. Yeah. But even guys below... Like, the, those guys are leaving. Sorry. The Kiwis then make the point, and Steve Hansen makes the point. Steve Chu makes the point, who's the chief executive as well. The All Blacks are where... That makes all the money. So people sort of talk about, oh, all the concentrations in the pro game. And the guys at the top just go, the All Blacks make all the money and that's what funds the rest of New Zealand rugby and then so where do we start off we start off like with the the Welsh regions and Welsh regions yeah and the sort of so I look I, I just looked it up here so I do remember there was nine there was nine teams at the dawn of professionalism in Wales, they're Clenethley, Swansea, Neath, Cardiff, Bridgend, End, Newport, Caerphilly, Ebbw Vale. And the idea was, the proposal was in 2002 that they'd split into four regions. So you'd have the West, Strally Park, which would be Clenethley, Swansea and Neath, which is basically, th- that's happening. Mm-hmm. You'd have the Cardiff team, which is Cardiff, Bridgend, and Pontypreeth. So that's Cardiff and then two teams from the valleys, which I think is important. And then you'd have Newport, Caerphilly and Ebbw Vale, which again is a team from the East and two teams from the Valleys. And then you'd have one team up in Wrexham, which would be all of the North Wales clubs. And they just seed them with players from the South. And going back to it, Coach of Wales at the time, pretty sure, Steve Hansen. So Steve Hansen liked that idea and that model. So there's, there's always been, and I think the thing was, just the clubs wouldn't go for it. So what happened was like just clubs ran out of money. Like I remember Ebervale ran out of money, Carefilly ran out of money, Bridge End and Pontypridd. I can't remember what. I presume.
2: Yeah, well, Ponty hate
0: Cardiff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they wanted to put them together. I think it's like they just hate them more. Hate them. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So so I think what's happening here is you can sort of say it was almost always inevitable. And I guess what the... Like, the Welsh... We're talking about the Scarlets getting to the, the semi-final of... There, there's never been a Welsh winner of the... No, no. The,
2: there, Cardiff, Cardiff got to the first final the in The first final against Toulouse. But that was the furthest that a Welsh team... That is the furthest that a Welsh team have got. Ever. Uh,
1: ever. There's never been another team in the final, is there? No. no. <coughs> Cardiff lost on penalty kicks against Leicester in 2009. Yeah, yeah in the semi. Yeah, yeah. Jordan yeah.
2: Crane knocked one over and Martin Williams missed his. Yes. Um... So, now Cardiff did win the Challenge Cup last season. Last season, yeah. You know, which is, you know, that, it's, a, it's a hot like, Yeah. It's good to win it. Um,
1: I mean, it, it, it really does underline the fact of how fortunate that Ireland had the pre-existing structures that um, re-emerged under professionalism to become yeah. like, central to how we yeah. organise our game yeah, and, there was, and to how like, to build a fan base. But there's
2: also... There was also a degree of, um, not, of being reasonable about things, of being reasonable, being optimistic, and not saying, no, Lansdowne are going to enter their own team into, uh, into the European Cup, or Gary Owen are going to enter. I remember when those discussions were were happening, mm-hmm. and you know there were like when I say it, there were serious discussions at the time, um, because the AAL was that was the dominant player in uh, the dominant league in, in Irish Ruby. And that was, there were discussions that had people, there was like, people had to put aside their egos, Um, you know, because these clubs were backed by, you know, in some cases backed by s- single individuals or a small coterie of individuals who were used to getting their own way. Uh, but everyone, more or less, everyone put aside their egos and said, okay, this is, this is how it's going to work.
0: I think you, 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 very strong leadership as well. So, I think if there's a Mr. Rugby in Ireland, it's Tom Kiernan, who was Irish captain, captain of the lines, was Ireland's, I think it was Ireland's record point scorer at one stage, he was Ireland's most fo- cap full back at one stage. He uh, coached Munster. He then coached, coached Munster to beat the All Blacks. He coached Ireland to a triple crown. Um, his son played for Ireland and scored the winning drop goal. And then Tom Kiernan was the one who, you know, with others, well, he he was the main guy, um, set the structure for the international teams, mm. sorry, for the interprovincial teams yeah. to, to sort of embrace professionalism. And I think what happened in Wales was that Vernon Pugh died at 57 in 2003. So Vernon Pugh, uh, he was a QC, he was the first chairman of the international board. He was the first elected chairman of the international board. And... He was very like he was described as having a first rate mind. So uh, again, I think he was he was certainly a working class guy. I think he was the son of a miner who got a scholarship to go uh, like eleven plus and all that sort of stuff, and ended up in was it Oxford or Cambridge? He went on to Cambridge. He was the son of a miner who went on to Cambridge, and Pew died in two thousand and three. We were talking about those regents in two thousand and two, and it was it was the lack of a Vernon Pew who had the vision and the oratorical capacity and the respect of the the various stakeholders, to use that word. Um, Pretty a shame for Welsh rugby. You know, obviously the bloke died, you know, it wasn't. There's more than that, but you know, the the timing of it, uh, just the the big leadership vacuum there. Um,
1: Leadership in Irish rugby is uh, largely concentrated around David Nusifora these days. And that kind of brings up a thing that happened last year. It seems to have thankfully gone to sleep, but it was something that he was trying to rejig the AIL league to have two teams from each province. Remember
0: this was happening last year. I don't know if it's. I, I don't know if it's gone to sleep. Like I think what's going to happen is that some of the AIL teams they're. Those guys are going to be playing matches for the A-teams against American. Brent Fanning keeps writing about this. And I, for the most part, completely agree with Fanning. But Fanning's writing those articles with his Clontarf hat on. Because if there's going to be two teams from Leinster, it's going to be Tarf and Lansden. So a sort of a less meritocratic or a more professionally oriented uh, team... I wonder if Fanning's going to invite us out to have words now. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> or um. But look, that that's my take when I read it. I, I just don't think... Finish say, that sentiment there about the... The club game in Ireland doesn't have the capacity to govern anything to do with professionalism. It doesn't have the volunteering capacity. Um, I don't think the players are really interested. It, it's not really going to make any difference to the attendances at the matches... But the big thing is the governance of it. Like the, you might get really good people in to try to run rugby clubs. There's nothing sustainable. Like it's not a job. You're not going to get people to go in in a voluntary capacity to do it. Clubs should be about participation. So I go back to my example about New Zealand, right? The successful teams and what constitutes success for a rugby club now is the amount of people playing in it now i'm not going to say it doesn't matter where your first team is because it's a, it's a bit like the all blacks argument in miniature how good your first team is will dictate the the amount of people in your rugby club on a like on a on a big match day like if you if you think mm. of if you think of a, like a big rivalry yeah and a lunch and everything like and that. a lunch and then people like coming down and staying around and picking up their car the next day that's all dictated by your first team but that isn't a business. It's not. It's not big enough. It never will be big enough. It, you're not going to get fifteen thousand people going down every single week to watch anybody. Like y- you can hark back and you can give examples of like when twelve thousand people w- watched went to Thomond. That's once off. Or when Marys played the cookies in the final in nineteen. It wasn't even. The, it was the last league match. It just happened to be like a final. That's a, that's like they moved from Templeville. Never happened before. Never happened since. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and, and I absolutely agree with you about uh, participation. And I'd say participation at all levels, not just post schools, men's players. It's about uh, it's about your minis, mees, it's about your women's, women. it's about your
0: juniors, and it's about your first team. And the uh, first yeah, team are I first among equals,
2: lads as well. You know, like several teams are very good special needs teams where people come in at different levels of ability and volunteers spend an awful lot of time with them. And it's a really positive thing for everyone involved. You know, Barnhoff is super. One your Tigers is super. A lot of other places have them as well. You know, and that is a that's a good community club. They're good telling that there's a that there's people of all ages, all abilities, both sexes, all sexes coming in and and being able to participate in rugby at different levels. I think that's the sign of a good club. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if you're maybe last in L one A. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and but and this this is like we, you see this in Ireland with the with the GA, which is like a brilliant grassroots organisation, but which has for the last oh definitely decade and a half had a real conflict between the county game and the club game. Mm. And no matter what they try they they can't get, they just can't handle a like it properly. Like it's ridiculous to me that there's so few club championship matches on during the summertime. Like they should just grasp the nettle and like just exclude the county guys from it. Like I'm, I'm a good few steps away from it, and I don't know how strongly passions go. But like, if fellas don't or aren't allowed, or like aren't allowed play, fine, get on without them, and like bless the rest of the club, and just say like, lads, you're losing out, because you're better. Like you know, sort of talk about player player welfare, you're better off playing matches, and if like if it doesn't fit into some grand county scheme, like I can't understand how playing, you know, at a championship match for your club is is going to be at the detriment for your like we're talking about a different sport here I just can't see how it's at the detriment of your of your club of your county game. Uh, we've been talking about
1: a lot of different places where there is maybe not enough people to make a, a professional system work for rugby. Uh but there are other values that can be um inculcated by rugby clubs and rugby organizations and it seems Pertinent to finish up on talking about the Pacific Islands where there's never going to be enough people or enough of an audience to build the professional game in any kind of longing sense. And you've seen they've been excluded from uh, initial plans by World Rugby for a fucking world league that just nobody
2: <laughs> Yeah, I remember one of, one of the phrases that I uh, stuck in my head was it was, oh, there's not enough chimneys they were talking about, uh, it was an English broadcaster talking about Ireland and not enough chimneys met, not enough, I suppose, television aerials at the time and thus not enough people watching, watching the sport on television. Um, And obviously that holds true for Tonga, Fiji, Samoa. Um, These outstanding rugby nations, outstanding rugby nations.
1: Uh, and at wonders I think that everyone uh, outside of the region has like a massive soft spot for it because of the way they play the game and the upsets they've provided throughout yeah. history Fiji beating Wales in the World Cup Fiji just playing incredible sevens Samoa beating Wales twice in World Cup and just playing a lot of good rugby not, they're not great at the moment and then Tonga beating France in the World Cup and uh, other yeah the real, victories real beaten.
2: admiration for their players as well like, like flat out admiration like I wish that guy played for us. Uh, we were watching a very old game, 87, Fiji versus France, the highlights on YouTube. Watched it after one of these podcasts. And looking at Fiji play, looking at how they played you know, 32 years ago, who was like they were so much better than France. I don't know how France won that game. Well, Fiji sort of, they were given a lot of four passes were given against them. But an incredible standard of rugby that they've been playing that you know, for 30, 40 years, New Zealand have frankly adopted elements of. New Zealand weren't playing as attacking rugby as, as, uh, as Fiji were in 1987.' Um, like, economically, they're, you know, they you, they have no presence. Uh, but I think that's the biggest uh, disconnection between what was announced as the IRB's plan for World Rugby, or World Rugby's plan for rugby in the world, and what actual people want to see. uh, There's a huge disconnection between this World League and with no Fiji, with no Tonga. uh, and People want to see Fijian teams. They want to think that their unions are supporting small countries who are growing in rugby or who have... be in their history and are trying to grow like Georgia like Romania like Fiji like Tonga Samoa they fans like us want our unions to support those like genuinely want them to support like to give them money and even take a bit of money out to give them money out of Ireland I would say I actually think that that's something that that Ireland should do if it's handing over 25% of a gate to a touring Fijian or Pacific Islands combined team so that they can get paid, like I would actually, and I don't have to balance the books. Let me just put that out there, of course. But I think that that's something like I'd love to see a Pacific Islands Lions type tour where they toured the Northern Hemisphere of a November, played all the six nations countries, but had proper time so that they could play, they could play at Toulouse, then they could play Leinster, they could play the champion of each. Of each league mm. You know On their way through So they'd have Three midweek games Five Weekend I mean, games have plenty or whatever. Of players To pick from as well You know, see. Have a, Like that was That's something Which I've thought of. Since seeing a Pacific Islands Combined team In like 2006 November 2006 I'd just love to see it again You know And they get like Even Like Even 10% of a Twickenham gate Would go a huge way To pay for a tour like that
0: so when, when we talk about the world's rugby, World Rugby's proposal, I, I bookmarked an article that I read in September. It was McCleary's article, and it's all about uh, P-Shot. So everything that's happened at the moment, I just think, ah, oh, it's got P-Shot's fingerprints all over it, and it's all about what's best for Argentina, is, is my read of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, geez, I can understand where he's coming from, but he dresses it like P-Shot. P-shot sort of, P-Shot's obviously very charismatic individual mm. so oh, okay. like bill bowman is a very charismatic individual bill bowman has got an age profile suitable for an alakadoo like bill bowman not as charismatic has, as he in both of them <laughs> <us>. <laughs> true um you know but like you look at bill's playing career and he's captain of the 1980 um world uh you know grand slam winning team and you look at p shot and you go like p shots like 20 20 plus years younger like, when Pichot was playing for Bristol in the in the noughties. Like, I remember going to watch Pichot play for Argentina in the 99 World Cup uh, when they're playing France, and he got a standing ovation coming off the match. He's also referenced in, I think, a forward, or maybe, like, one of the... the in Diego's, Maradona's uh, biography that released only in Argentina, I think, of just, like, Maradona setting pretty much every... Like I've read Sevi's and Maradona's. There's even more score setting and self-righteousness <laughs> in, in Maradona. We all enjoyed Maradona's one, actually. <laughs> the turtle really got away. Um, but like shots really on the radar, and he's able to sort of paint himself as a kind of an iconoclast, kind of still a player, really cool. And uh, there's a bit of me that I just, I don't, I don't buy it. I'm not really sure why I don't. I just don't really oh, trust. I, absolutely the bloke, don't buy I just it. think the bloke has an agenda and it's what's best for Argentinian rugby. And uh, like, I don't know whose payroll he's going to end up on at the end of this. Uh, it makes sense to bring in America somewhere and it makes sense to bring in Japan somewhere. And it would make sense to bring in China somewhere. Like if you could get Hong Kong involved because they're the biggest economies. And Germany and Germany. And you can see why the Six Nations are against it because the Six Nations has something that work. It's got the proc- like you've you're coming up to a Six Nations weekend where everybody's be there's going to be loads of away fans in all three dest- mm. in all three venues. And there's meaningful rivalries yeah. and there's a lot of tradition and you'll get huge TV. And, and like that's why the Six Nations doesn't want to give it up whereas everybody else wants to come in, in it. So you, you come back to the club game and you go, like, where does the club game work? You go, France, professionally, France and arguably England. Even though, you know, the English teams all lose money, but they sort of lose sustainable money and they get sugar daddies to come in and bankroll them. And then you come back to the fact, are the players paid too much? Because if they keep on losing money, where are the biggest costs? The biggest costs are the players. How much do the players get paid? Is it, is it enough? Is it too much? If you keep losing money, it's obviously too much. Um, if, it's, if you're generating all your money from the international game, how do, you, how do you filter that down so you've enough players to be competitive at international level when you've got an international squad of, like, how many guys? Like 31 of whom eight, 18 don't really play that much. You don't, like, you need, you probably need, like, 24 blokes who could play most of your international matches to be at your most competitive you know, every 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 country would sort of recognise every like every team you're involved. With, you could recognise your 24 best players are by and large, and like the Welsh are getting to where they were in 2002. It's really hard to see. It's really hard to see this being resolved cleanly. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's just it's just going to keep on going. It's, it's going to be an ongoing feature of the game. I don't know, until when? Like, until, do you get, do you get Germany into into the Six Nations? Do you?
2: Well, yeah, the, the logical people to come into the Six Nations are other founding members of, like, the, economic, the European Economic Union. It's Belgium, Germany. It's, like, the Benelux countries in Germany mm. who have the closest shared ties with... Like, I, I've said this, and I think I've written it before, about the Six Nations. When people talk about Georgia being being brought into the Six Nations on a relegation and promotion system. I just find, like, do have, does anybody, has anybody looked at where Georgia is on the map? You know, it is it is miles away. It has nothing to do with the Six Nations. Okay,
1: but speaking of, like, so that's a kind of, it's a common section bone of contention, contention the perennial relegation yes. uh, promotion.
0: <laughs> but it, but t- if, if, if
1: just to, just to follow this through, if there was a relegation promotion situation in the Six Nations, mm-hmm. France, no matter what kind of shit show they are at the moment, would make sure they don't finish last. And Italy would finish last every year, probably.
2: Yeah, That's, yeah
1: maybe that. Scotland, but like most, Italy are most likely to, and they would then go and beat the piss out of Russia and Spain and everyone else. And Georgia would everyone would make sure that Georgia finished last it would automatically be promoted anyway because they're by far the best, the next best team. And it would just be Italy and Georgia changing places. Everywhere. Yeah,
0: just, just bouncing up and like down. It, w- yeah. it, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't solve any problem No, people, people say it and then there's no thought given to it. Just to go back to history, Wikipedia, I, I'm Wikipedian out of it at this podcast, but the the, the FIRA, right? So like the you, the under 18s playing a FIRA competition, the Irish under 18s. So FIRA was, was set up... Um, in 1934 because the french were kicked out for paying their players in 1931 right so 1931 is in between the two world wars france had won or had been on the right side in the first world war and the treaty of versailles was what settled it, and the reparations of versailles was what bankrupted germany eventually so like france like Bella you look at when Paris was at its most glorious, it was it was in those twenties. France was really like really wealthy at the during the twenties, and the, you know it was obviously a massive economic downturn at the end of the twenties, beginning of the thirties. But there was a lot of money sloshing around France. So like plus ça change, plus ça change. Uh, so in 1934, what do they do? They set up Fera in the best traditions of French diplomacy. They just kind of navigated the by doing their own thing. And they had Italy, France, Spain, Belgium, Portugal, Catalonia, Romania, Holland, and Germany. So that's kind of the core of, of European rugby, of non-Anglophone rugby, which is very important because pretty much every other country is an Anglophone country, with the exception of Argentina. And uh, I'm not going to... It wouldn't surprise me to find that Argentina got matches against those countries mm-hmm. um, more readily than they got matches against the Anglophone countries. So there is the opportunity. How do you get them up to a standard of the sort of professional leagues? I don't have a roadmap for that.
1: How do you germinate that. a rugby culture that's been dormant for uh, nearly 100 years? Yeah. Yeah. But
2: how, How, for example, how did mixed martial arts go from being uh, nothing or a free show to a massive sport? People are looking for alternative something sports. Something that concusses people. Yeah, <laughs> something that something that is tough. Yeah, people you know, like fighting. People like, you know, they play rugby in Poland. Like it's it's a, apparently like a sort of a gangster game. Like the former world's strongest man Mariusz Pudzianowski turns out for a Polish team. Um,
1: Taken by the ankles.
2: <laughs> just, just get out of his way. Um, so I think that's. I like, This is a, a very, very wide-ranging and loose discussion, but I think that there is... The potential for growth uh, of rugby in those countries actually exists, in my opinion. Uh, I think Sevens is providing a basis for it, uh, in that it's easier to play and you can get people interested. Uh, and then there is potential for growth, as we've seen, for example, in Brazil, further, f- a lot further afield than the Benelux countries. You know, you're seeing a Brazilian team on highlights Reels, on Twitter highlights and everything like that who are very competent
0: there was a interview with Tony Smith who's director of rugby in Trinity on uh, I'll have to retweet it i give the lads credit so like, it's basically two lads from Limerick and they do like a club rugby podcast and I'm afraid I can't remember the name of it because it, it's very good Although I've only listened to the one with the interview with Tony Smith, so anyway, the wide ranging interview with Smith, having been there at Trinity at 21 years, and he's asked who's the best player that you coached in Trinity who wasn't didn't go on to pro, and he was like, "Ooh," and he really thought about it mm. rather than just giving a glib answer, and uh, he said Seb Fromm. So Seb Fromm was a he couldn't. He said Seb Fromm, if he hadn't played sevens for Germany, he'd be playing for Leinster. And he gave the example, Seb Fromm was a Clongo's guy who went guy. to Congo.: He yeah. so was a Congo centre, he went into Trinity, he was a fresher uh, and he went up to play against Dunk Gannon. Or was it I think it was Dunk Gannon, Tony was saying. Uh, and he was Mark and Stuart McCloskey. And Smith just goes like, there were, like it was honours even. And only that Fromm had, Played sevens for Germany, which would rule him out of progressing in the Irish. Like he couldn't, he could never play for Ireland. So why, why would you spend mm. money on this guy? He'd be playing for Leinster. That was that was Tony's belief. So, to
1: sum up, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, it, it, it strikes me that there's a similarity to uh, cricket in some ways, in that it's a game that. Basically, for even longer than than rugby has been has existed, cricket has has been a game where people have been decrying its death is 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 imminent. Um, there's not enough countries that play it well enough for it to be viable, and they're all too far apart and too different. Uh, some would say it's part of its charm, but uh, rugby is facing the same problems. It seems like uh, Super Rugby is kind of a just a weird tournament that goes from, like, Japan to Buenos Aires. Jeez, well,
2: so is, so is the, the Pro 14. Yeah. Like, these bloated money-chasing, oh, the only way we can do this is grow money. Look at these, these not working when they are trying to, you know, become more profitable by including massively out-of-the-way uh, venues as, and incorporating teams to them. Like, people, they. I think the this is the worst season of... The Celtic League, in my in my memory, um, I think there's more bad teams in it than there ever were.
0: Do you think? I I think, I think the two South African. Well, I think the Kings, like the Kings, are a joke. The Kings are a joke. I couldn't get over how slipshod they were. Like the thing that the guys have different size numbers on their back. That that's what hit me. It was like. Surprised they don't have different coloured shorts. I thought or some like of them did. Different socks or something. Like this yeah. looks this looks like a fourth match. Like it looks like ah, oh, what a well, Zebra where is dreadful. Whereas the, the Dragons um, are
2: dreadful. The Ospreys have been beaten by either forty or fifty points by Leinster, Munster, uh, Connacht. and Connacht. Like the Ospreys yeah. are dreadful.
0: But then Treviso have got better I understand. Yeah, no, I accept I accept all that. I think I think whereas the Cheetahs certainly during February like the Cheetahs play a version of South African rugby that just people in Ireland don't get because we don't think like that. Like we, sort of, we see Southern Hemisphere rugby and we sort of think of, you know, depending on what age you are, the, the Australian team from the 80s through to that Fijian team from the 80s through so like basically the super rugby New Zealand teams that mm. this is the way the Southern Hemisphere teams play. Whereas the South Africans, and the Cheetahs in particular, they kick the ball. The game is played in the middle of the park. It's played in between the two tens. They're brilliant at tackling. You tackle, you get up, you put a huge amount of pressure on, you score from counterattacks, you get your penalties and your drop kicks, and you just don't give the other opportunity. Yeah. you don't give the other team. And it's like it's a way of playing rugby that's really effective if you can't not really like it's, it's effective if you can buy into it and if you have the personnel. And I go back to that example of like McCaw talks about the Crusaders and the Bulls. When you meant to play the good Bulls teams, you have to kick it away. You go back to the the semi-final and twickenham between New Zealand and South Africa in 2015 and like New Zealand just kicking and kicking and kicking. Do not play rugby in your own half against these guys. You will lose. But the cheetahs are in two competitions at the beginning of the soup. Like y- you played the cheetahs at the beginning of the season. You'll hammer them. Yeah. Monster annihilated them and they're playing a Curry Cup match on the same day. Maybe like the day beforehand. You go on like what sort of a cheetahs team are you playing at the yeah. beginning? So like it's it hasn't. It while it is good to have the different standard of rugby, it like it hasn't it hasn't worked. You'd be better off having a, like a German. Team. Someone needs to stop him. Some of the fans not happy with that.